So as Doug shared, my wife and I are working in one of the darker areas of the world uh, in a region of the country where there's almost no Christian witness except for us and a handful of believers that are with us in partnership there uh, so that if you want to hear the gospel, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who could tell you about that. Um, We're working among the Wolof people, and it's a people group that's kind of been missed. Uh, People have come and and gone. Missions have come and gone, and their response has been, they're a cold people, they're hard of the gospel, and maybe they're unreachable. And what we've found over the last two terms is not the case, that they've had, they've lacked gospel access, but we're seeing these people open up, we're seeing people come to Christ, and we're learning that no one is out of reach of the hand of the Father, and he's calling the Wolof people to be his own. Um, we have over 13 ministries when we're at full capacity that we're running there, along with our, our partner church and with another mission. And in fact, Samaritan's Purse um, helps us a little bit with our girls' school as well. So we partner with them as well. But each of those 13 ministries are open with the gospel. We're open about who we are, what we're doing, which is an incredible thing considering the context that we're at. Um, Because of that, uh, my time constraints here and this setting, I'm limited in how much I could say and how much I could share with you. Uh, but if you, you enjoy what you hear uh, this morning and want to know more, uh, or even if maybe God's calling you to, to partner with that, we had a young man come and ask this morning after the first service if, if it's possible for him to come out there. Uh, if you want to know more about it, add it to our, our prayer list. We have a confidential newsletter that we send out with more information. I'm going to give you an email address. You drop me an email. It's livingthecall at gmail.com livingthecall at gmail.com. It should be t- too hard to memory, uh, remember there. And we'll add you to that list. We're here for a year, so even there's opportunity there for personal contact. We're just down the road in Apex. Um, this morning, I want to share a message uh, that Lord put on my heart months ago as I was praying about what to share uh, from Psalm 105. And so if you want to turn there with me, we're going to be reading the first eight verses. Psalm 105. I started to get a glimpse of what you all are doing here at Alliance Bible Fellowship, and I was really encouraged uh, by your celebration of Reformation Day uh, last week. There's not a lot of churches that do that, and I'm proud of you for taking that holiday. That's uh, encouraging, and I started listening to the sermons that went along with them, and I was encouraged by that. Um, The interesting thing is, I'm preaching on the glory of the Lord, and as I listened this Friday to the message on glory, I was tempted to pull back from that message, Um, but as I prayed about it, I feel like uh, I'm going to preach that message anyway, Um, that this will add to our understanding of glory, Um, it'll build on that foundation which was solid that was laid last week, I agree 100% with. And it will give us a better understanding of not only God's glory, but our role in that as, a, as God's people, uh, trying to accomplish His purposes by His divine power. So we're in Psalm 105. Our focus is going to be on verse 3, but we're going to read the first eight verses. And then I'm going to summarize the rest of the chapter, uh, just to give it context. 
Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he has pronounced. You his servants, the descendants of Abraham, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations. As we look at those first six verses, verbs start to pop out at you. Give praise, proclaim, make known, sing to him, sing praise to him. Look to the Lord, seek his face always. I like that one. Remember the wonders he's done, and then smack dab right in the middle of that, you get glory in his holy name. Glory in his holy name. And it's easy to glaze over those five words and just assume it's like the rest. But God's placed each of those words in his word for a reason, and they're distinct. And we're going to come back to that in a little bit and examine it and find out what the difference is. But in general, in these first six verses, you get a, a feeling of that we're to worship God, we're to praise him for who he is and what he's done. And the reason why is found in verse 6 and 7. It says that we're his chosen ones, and that he is the Lord or God. So he's called us to be his people. He's called us to be his people. And more than that, in verse 8, it says that he has a purpose for us. He's made a covenant with us and certain promises that he has made. That he has a purpose for us. And it says that he will keep it for a thousand generations. This idea without limit. God doesn't forget. That's a neat thing that actually we teach in our boys and girls school in Senegal. We do a Bible study each morning. It's chronological Bible teaching from uh, beginning to the end. Uh, they go through that for three years, a three-year program. So they hear it three, the whole Bible three times a year, uh, three times of that course. Uh, we focus in on the attributes of God. And one of the ones we key in on is that God does what he says he will do. That we can trust his word, we can trust his promises, and if it's in his word, we can believe it. And so here we have that again, that God has a purpose for us, he's made promises, and the rest of the chapter is a story. He tells a story of how he actually did this over generations, just like he promised. He said he called Abraham to his people, he made a covenant with him, and then Joseph, he said he sent to Egypt. Now I, I found that kind of funny. I always thought Joseph's brothers sent him to Egypt when they sold him as a slave for pocket change. But no, God said that was his purpose. He was in that. And he said he sent Joseph. And then he tells a story of how he called Joseph from slavery to be the second in power in Egypt. You know the story. And then after that, he brought all of Israel and his descendants to Egypt. And over generations... They were enslaved for hundreds of years, but God did not forget his purposes. Then he called Abraham, not Abraham, sorry, Moses and Aaron to come, 
and by God's divine power, call Israel out of Egypt by his power, fulfilling his purposes, and bring them into that which he had promised to them at the very beginning, into the promised land. And it says they came out with uh, joy and singing. Well, now we come back to glory in his holy name. Glory is a, a word that's rather vague in our minds. We kind of know what it means, but it's really blurry out there. Um, I asked a, a group of junior hires some years back, what does it mean to glorify God? We were working through the catechisms. And uh, one of the sixth graders, he was brave, he raised his hand. He said, uh, to, to make him shiny? Okay. To be fair, a lot of us, that's kind of, we're not exactly sure what it means. The worship leader may say, let's stand up and give glory to God. And okay, we all stand up, but we're not exactly sure exactly what we're giving to God. And the reason for this is the word glory in English, uh, we only have one word for it. But in Hebrew, there's 12 different words. 12 different words, each with a distinct meaning, each with um, a nuance there that we don't get in English because we have one word. That's it. So you can imagine the translators working through Scripture. Okay, uh, this word, clearly glory. And this other word over here, let's, uh, yeah, let's, we've we got to use glory for that. And those 10 others over there, just, just go use glory for all of them. And so we're left with this vague idea of what it means. Um, to give you an idea. When we talk about the glory of God, the Shekinah glory, descending on God's temple, filling it with his presence, the word for that in Hebrew, if used in a literal sense, literally means weight or heaviness. Can you imagine that? The heaviness, the weight of God descended on the temple and filled it, his immensity, his majesty. It's almost overwhelming. Ezekiel uses that same word when he's transported to the throne room of God in a vision, and he stands there and he's trying to describe the glory of God. Not a real easy thing to describe. And he uses that word, heavy. It's heavy. I loved your pastor's definition that he gave of that. The display of his infinite and altogether beautiful attributes. The attributes of God. It's overwhelming to see that manifest. When we try to glorify God, what we're doing is that glorifying God's another word. We're trying to reflect those attributes in our life in a way that gives credit back to God, not getting to ourselves, to glorify. Uh, to give glory to God, we use it for worship. Give God praise. Give him credit that he's due. That's giving glory. And then in Proverbs, it says that our gray here, we got some gray-haired people here, that, that, that gray here that we're often embarrassed about and die, he says, no, that's a crown of glory. A crown of glory. And in that sense, it means beauty and honor, something we shouldn't be ashamed of. So you got all these different, and there's more, all these different meanings for glory. And then we come to this verse 3, and it's easy to skip over those, those words, but it says, glory in his holy name. And as I was reading that, I said, no, there's something different about this. 
All those other verses are talking about getting praise to God, but here it doesn't say give glory to God. It says glory in him, glory in his holy name. So what's the difference? Why did he bother writing something different? Sure enough, looked it up. It's a whole different word in Hebrew. And it means literally to shine. Now all of a sudden that sixth grader's right. It's not shine like reflect like we might think. It's to shine as glow. You're glowing in something and it's connected with the word boasting. Oh, this is really different. It's connected to boasting, to pride. In fact, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, the apostle Paul uses the Greek equivalent of this word. He says, if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. Matter of fact, if you go to the King James Version, it doesn't say boast. It uses the word glory. If you're going to glory, glory in the Lord. Paul, in context there, is talking about our complete unworthiness of that. That God uses the weak, the feeble, the foolish in the world. He uses them for his glory. So no one can boast except that we boast in the Lord. But use the idea of boasting. Well, what's the difference? The difference is ownership, participation. We don't boast about something that's disconnected to us, that has nothing to do with us. We don't boast about those things. We boast about things that are connected to us, that we have a sense of pride in and ownership. It's, well, I'll give you an example. How many of you here know who Einstein is? A few of you, that's, that's good. A little shy this morning. Um, well, if I were to ask you, you know, when you hear the word Einstein, what do you think of? You might say big hair, you might say physicist, you might say relativity, but eventually you're going to come to the word genius. Everyone will come to the word genius eventually. Matter of fact, when I asked who knows who Einstein is, a guy in the back, he said, I don't know who Einstein is. His wife elbowed him and said, well, you're no Einstein. It's synonymous with the word genius. We use it like that. Now, if I'm a physicist teacher and I'm teaching my class, I might start talking about Einstein, give him credit for what he's done in science, his theory of relativity, the impact he's had. He's one of the foremost thinkers of the 21st century. I mean, he's so smart they stuck his brain in a jar. That's kind of significant, I guess. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to give him the credit that he's due, but it's kind of static. I'm not, I don't own that. I'm not going to go home and sit in my bed and think of Einstein. No, it has nothing to do with me. It's giving credit to him, but it's not boasting. That changes completely if my family name is Einstein. Then when I'm talking about Uncle Einstein, there's ownership there. This is my family. There's pride. It impacts me everywhere I go because I am an Einstein. It affects who I am and what I do. There's this whole new concept. It's not static anymore. There's ownership. Well, God has said here in this passage that he's called us to be his people, his chosen ones. He's given us his family name. And it changes everything. And our worship and our calling, how we serve our Lord, because now there's participation, there's ownership. We're part of this. We're his people in 1 Peter 2.9, it says that we are a peculiar people, and that does not mean we're weird. Some of you are weird. I'm a little weird. I'm in my pajamas. But that's not what he's calling us to be. Is not weird. When he says peculiar, it means set aside for his purposes. 
for him. And you are a chosen people set aside for a holy God. And that means something. It means that his victories are our victories. His joys are our joys. In some senses, his glory is even our glory as we glory in him. Before worship was distance, it was static, but now we're part of this. Now, App State's going to play Georgia Southern here this week. I hope we have some App State fans here. Um, now, some of you may go to that game, and you might be sitting in that, that stand. If I was there with you, I'd be cheering on for App State. And uh, say, fourth quarter, we're up 72 to 3. I think it's a likely scenario, right? <laughs> I heard someone say, wait, we're winning? <laughs> Yeah, it's a story. So we're up 73 to, uh, 72 to 3. I'm excited for my team. I'm cheering them on. I'm there. This is great. Go. Woo. Go Mountaineers. This is awesome. But to be honest, fourth quarter, I'm going to go get a hot dog. And, you know, it's 72 to 3. We got this game in the bag. I'm going to scoot out a couple minutes early to beat the traffic out so I'm not sitting there in traffic. So, yeah, I'm committed, but only so far. It changes that scenario completely. If I'm on the team and I'm playing center and each game, each play, I'm snapping that ball. It doesn't matter if it's 72 to 3 or or 7 to 14. It doesn't matter. That joy doesn't decrease. It only increases that we're winning and we're part of this. This This is us and we're in the game. That participation adds a dimension of sincerity and depth, and God knew this, and he called us to be part of it in our worship of him. It doesn't mean that's something that we've earned. I think of a newly elected president. He, he wins the election. He's up there to, to accept that on stage. And what does he do? He, he always he invites his family up there on the stage with him. They didn't do anything. He's got, you know, maybe a six-year-old son, Billy. You know, what did Billy do? Billy did nothing. He didn't, but he's up there with him. Why? Because the president wants him up there with him. It's his family. He takes joy in that. He takes pleasure in that. It doesn't take away from the glory at all. It brings joy. And it's an amazing thing considering where we've come from. I look at Psalm 8. I love Psalm 8. It's a psalm about creation. It's a psalm also with some messianic tones in it. Um, but foremost, it's, it's a psalm about creation. And it talks about God placing the stars in the sky with his fingers. It's a beautiful psalm. The power and majesty of God. And then it asks a question, puts us in our place. He says, well, what is man, the son of man, that you would even think of us? We're nothing. Think about it. In creation... Where do we come from? He creates us from the dust, from the dirt. You don't get lower than that. And that it was intentional. He formed us from the dirt. But then he does something very personal. He breathes his own life into us. And it says there in the psalm that, you know, what are we? We're nothing, basically. But you've crowned us with glory and honor. But just like 
the president's son up there on the stage, it's not his glory. And this is not our glory. It's not ours to claim. What do we do with that crown? If we do anything but lay it at the feet of the one who is worthy, it's idolatry. We lay that crown at his feet for the only one who is worthy of it. For we've paid nothing into this. We cannot pay even one penny, one cent, towards the grace, towards the blood that, that bought, paid for our sins, that bought us that family name. But we can rejoice in it. We can take joy that we're part of that. And as participators in this, we seek not to glorify us, but to seek to glorify him. And we no longer seek our own purposes. We're to be a reflection of Christ's own glory. He's calling us to participate. That's huge. He's calling us to participate in what? His purposes. His story. He wants to write us in to that story. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. To the to the point where he's willing to wait for us. He's willing to wait for us. Sometimes on things that are kind of urgent. Give you an example, how does that work? Well, where we're at, if you start knocking on doors, one door every five minutes, eight hours a day, six days a week, going to take Sundays off. It's going to take you 364 days to find one Wolof believer. Can you imagine that? Just to find one believer. Why? Because for 2,000 years, 2,000 years, the Wolof people have been waiting for the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it hadn't come. Because God gave that commission, that great commission, to his people at great cost. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he desires us to participate. He could have declared it to the nations, he could have written it on the sky. There's a billion ways he could have done this, but he said, no, I want my people to participate in my purposes. I want them to be part of this, and I will wait for them for they're worth waiting for, even at great cost. And I don't say this to make us feel guilty, quite the opposite. What a joy to know that we have a God that loves us so much that he would wait for us. And now that we get to be part of that story, part of the Wolof people's story, because now for the first time in 2,000 years, they're hearing the good news and they're believing and they're coming to Christ. And it's like we're back in the book of Acts at the foundations of the church. And you are a part of that. You are the alliance. These are your ministries you're the ones who send us. If you don't send us, we don't go, but you have. When you pray for us, you are participating in the wolf people's story. When you give to the Great Commission Fund, when you go, when you come, when you send, 
You're a part of this story. And there's no guilt in that. There's joy. Being a part of God's purposes, part of his story. Praise the Lord. And what can we do? It's not by our power. The great thing about being on God's team is he doesn't need us. The game's won. He doesn't need us. He wants us. So we don't have to bring a whole lot to the table. We depend on him. Matter of fact, we're depending on anyone but him. We got a problem. This is why Paul in, in 1 Corinthians said, God's calling the, the weak and the foolish things to use them so that only God receives glory. We have a wonderful ministry with young disadvantaged boys, boys who can't get into public school. Uh, we started a mechanic school. And the gospel's taught openly there. We see more fruit in that school than we have in any of our ministries per uh, percentage. Where over just a, a few months, the boys in there asked if they could start their own Bible study after school on their own time. They wanted to know they were seeking. After the first year, they started singing worship songs to Jesus Christ in the school during the devotional time. Um, and, and people started moving towards the Lord. It's a three-year program. Two years into that program, we lost our head teacher. And we had no mechanics. It's hard to find a Christian mechanic there. We had no one to fill in that spot. I'm not a mechanic. I couldn't do it. So we were going to have to shut down that program two years into a three-year program, and it would shame the church. It means we probably wouldn't be able to reopen again because people wouldn't trust us. But the pastor said, no, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. A month before we're supposed to open the school, a young man, 24 years old, who had, we'd been, that we knew, who had said he, he, he didn't want to teach. He had no experience. He had an associate's degree in mechanics, just graduated, no experience in a garage. He said, I'll come out and help. A month before, he said, you know what, I'll, I'll be your head teacher. 24 years old. The problem was we needed someone there beside him. Uh, we needed more, at least two people there. We had a 79-year-old man in retirement. He said, you know, God's not done with me. God's not done with me. I want to be used again. Can I come? He'd been turned down by everybody else. Matter of fact, we were told to turn him down. He said, can I come? And I said, well, is your doctor okay with that? He said, yes. I said, well, come. He turned 80 this year. I just picked him up from the airport from Senegal this, this week, actually, this past week. God used those two men, people I would not have picked if I'm starting a mechanic school. I wouldn't have picked a, 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 a kid fresh out of, out of school and someone who's 79 years old and worried about his health. But God, God did that by his power. And he said, I'm going to use those folks. You know what, this past year, we graduated all of our students. It was the best year out of the three that we've had. Half of our class graduated with a technical college degree. This is, these are kids that couldn't get into public school. Half of those kids are now followers of Jesus Christ. And all of them have moved closer to the Lord. Glory be to his name. God uses the weak. So you may be asking, well, what can I do? I'm not in Senegal. Maybe God's calling you to go there. That would be awesome. But not everyone's called to go to Senegal. 
What about me? Was I was reading this psalm and it's talking about Aaron and Moses. It made my mind turn to Exodus chapter 4. And Moses is standing by the burning bush before it. And he's already made some excuses. God, use someone else, please. Why me? And he asks, well, God, you know, how are they going to believe that I'm from you? God poses Moses an important question. He says, Moses, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Moses looks and says, uh, a stick? And our all-powerful, almighty God explains how he's going to use that simple stick by his divine power so that all of Israel would know that God was in this. He doesn't say, Moses, you must go find the great and mighty stick so I can use you. No, he asks, what do you have at hand? What's right there? I'm not dependent on that. You're dependent on me. This is for my glory. My glory alone. My question to you is, what has God placed in your hand? What do you have right here now that God would use that you haven't put your faith in him or trusted him for him to use? Whether that be overseas, through, through the, the Great Commission Fund, through City Mission, through going, through the, the, the Samaritan's Purse Christmas Child, whether that be right here in Boone, with your neighbors at your work, right here in this church, what would God use for his glory that's right at hand that you haven't seen? God has invited us to be his people. He's called us to help fulfill his purposes. And he's promised to do it by his divine power. It's an invitation to be part of his victories and his joys. I want to close just with the last verses there. It says that in verse 43 through 45, it says, God brought out his people with joy, his chosen ones out with singing into exactly what he had promised for them. He's making those same promises to you. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are astounded that you would want us. Not because of the things that we've done, despite the things that we've done. that you would give us your family name. We're overwhelmed by your glory, God. Your heaviness, the immensity of who you all are, of all your attributes, manifold, Lord, they're overwhelming. That you would love us and call us. Lord, we have nothing left but joy and worship and a desire to seek, to seek you and your purposes. Lord, use us. Take joy in us. Help us to go out this week with new eyes opened up to how you would use us, to what's in our hands, Lord. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.